Welcome to the Second Mom's Circle. I'm Dawn Baggett, your host, and as an adoptive mom myself and a post-adoption mom coach, I want you to feel welcome here as this is a safe space for you, adoptive moms who are maybe finding yourself in the gap. What is the gap? Well, the gap is something that I identified not only in my own life and my own family, but also in many, many others. And it happens that as adoptive moms, we often find ourselves in a gap with inadequate or even almost non-existent support and ineffective support in our roles as adoptive mom. It kind of feels like the rug is just pulled out from under you sometimes. So if that's something that you can relate to, let's dive in. This episode is a bit long, so I wanted to tell you up front so that you can listen to it when you have time that permits. So This episode asks, Adoptive Mama, are you sinking into an accountability trap? As Christians, we don't simply want behaviors to be managed. We want hearts to be transformed and lives to be transformed. Now, we can't do all that on our own because we aren't God, obviously, but we can be tools that God uses in the lives of our children when we don't overstep our bounds. And the accountability traps that I see adoptive moms falling into and fall into myself can hinder rather than help our children and teens and young adults in the transformation of becoming self-accountable. So can adoptive moms avoid the accountability trap And what is it anyway? The idea of accountability gets thrown around a lot. We could use some clarification around what accountability is and how best to think about accountability within our adoptive and blended families. Accountability and responsibility are related words. You might say, We're responsible for certain actions, and we may be accountable to a certain someone regarding those actions. I'll say that again. We're responsible for certain actions, and we may be accountable to a certain someone regarding those actions. Now, second moms, especially in our adoptive slash blended households, where there's ongoing triangulation happening, which is a whole nother topic in itself, I frequently witness these moms lamenting that they're the only person attempting to hold their challenging child, teenager in most cases, accountable. Have you ever felt that way? I'm the only one trying to hold this person accountable, this kid accountable, um, My spouse doesn't hold them accountable. The school doesn't hold them accountable. Even the legal system is not holding them accountable. And it can be so frustrating. And 
this gets to be so much of a thing that the holding them accountable gets the focus and becomes a bigger issue than the original issue itself at times. So I want to warn you, this is a trap. This is what I call an accountability trap. When I've fallen into myself, we're not God, we're merely parents. And it's important to have a clear distinction as to where our parent role really ends. The following verses can help us to do that. Do not say, I'll pay you back for this wrong. Wait for the Lord and he will avenge you. That's Proverbs chapter 20, verse 22. Here's another. Do to others as you would have them do to you. That's the golden rule from Luke 6, verse 31. Do not pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you, for you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. And that's Ecclesiastes 7, verses 21 and 22. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. And then in 1 Corinthians 13, we also, this is the love chapter. And this chapter in verses 4 through 7 says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And then 1 Corinthians verse, chapter 13, verse 11 goes on to say, When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. So there's a distinction there. 1 John 4.18 tells us there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And then 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For the Spirit of God gave us for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Self-discipline and self-accountability um, go hand in hand. And self-accountability is an inside job, especially for us as adults. And I think that's what we're going for with our children, right? So in general, accountability for us as adults is an inside job. Like I said, we get to choose who we're going to hold ourselves accountable to. We choose our spouse, our job, our church, our friends. And as our kids get older, it falls to them to internalize accountability as well, to hold themselves accountable and choose wisely whomever and to what extent they put themselves accountable to and accountable to others. And we can help them. So you may be asking, how? Here are four shifts that second moms can make starting today. I want to share these shifts that if you haven't already made them, you can start making them today in the way that you think about accountability with your children, especially those ages 12 and over. So here they go. Shift number one is that accountability starts with you. 
Model taking ownership of your responsibilities and commitments and be consistent. My, my um, authentic modeling method that I have developed to use with my coaching clients incorporates, incorporates this shift. The basic premise being that instead of a more direct approach, a more confrontational approach, we'll use the indirect approach of modeling to influence our high-conflict kids. We also want to incorporate personal boundaries as part of this approach, and I can get deeper and more detailed with my private coaching clients, but the initial shift, the initial shift here in thinking is that you're holding yourself, whom you have much greater control of, right? Holding yourself accountable rather than your, ch your child or your teen in most cases. Shift number two is to be fair. Now, this is easier said than done, especially in the eyes of our kids. I know you think you're fair, but listen, some children will cooperate and comply easier than others. Some will do so pleasantly and some with an unpleasant attitude. All will be impacted negatively. Whenever you, me, we show favoritism one way or the other, even when you have a good reason, so we must be sensitive to the perceptions of unfairness, even when it's unavoidable, such as when one child needs a greater deal of care or financial help or specialized accommodations. Now, shift number three is to set them up for success so that accepting accountability feels empowering to them, not a setup in which they're destined to fail. So this shift gives them a choice and helps satisfy the natural drive for autonomy. And if you missed the, uh, the uh, autonomy episode and the autonomy post or the autonomy live stream in our Facebook group, you can go back and review that or catch that. We did a whole episode on that. Shift number four is to set expectations that presume not only their success, but also some level of accountability. So accountability is not something we spring on them after they've messed up. Accountability is something that they voluntarily enter into in building this self-accountability that we're talking about here. So accountability versus responsibility. These words get used really interchangeable these days. One definition of accountability from the field of accounting says accountability is the acceptance of responsibility for one's own actions and implies a willingness to be transparent. According to Brit Britannica, the term accountable originates from the Latin word meaning to count. To be accountable required a person to produce a count of either properties or money that had been left in his care, in his care. Later, the word accountability expanded, or accountable or accountability expanded into other areas, politics and administration, law and institutional settings. In his care. Remember that phrase? In his care sounds like someone or something this person has been given responsibility for. They've taken responsibility for. 
In parenting, we've been given and we've accepted the responsibility for the well-being of our children and guiding them to adulthood. In fact, I learned that this is a rather recent word found in English dictionaries only since the 1980s. Currently, its use has exploded into other areas of life and into a, what I, I read was a culture of accountability. Have you ever heard that phrase, culture of accountability? Sometimes it's used interchangeably with the word responsibility. And the distinction is often unclear and the meaning of both words are muddied. So as I looked into accountability in regards to parenting our children in the Bible, I made a list regarding the responsibilities and the accountability associated with being a parent. So here goes, primarily, we are to be accountable to or before God. And there's Bible verses that, uh, that express this in Matthew 12, 36, Romans 14, 12, and 2 Corinthians 5, 10 are just three that I have listed. We're to be accountable to each other as Christians, and we're to be accountable for those under our care. And you can look at Hebrews 13, 17 to see that expressed in the Bible. And I'm sure there are many other verses that we could refer to for each of these points. One of the responsibilities we have to our children is to restore them gently. Restore them gently uh, is a phrase, again, found in more than one place, but in Galatians 6, 1, I saw this phrase, restore them gently. And there's an article that I found that provided some insight on how to restore gently. And so I uh, linked to that article in the blog notes that you can go, in the podcast notes that you can go see on the blog. But here's what I got from this article that I wanted to share with you. Seek them out and don't let them wallow in their mess ups, especially when they're, they're as they're younger and they're growing up, preteens and teens and, you know, before they get out of your house make that a practice that you seek them out and don't let them just wallow and stew in their own mess ups. Another one is to ask good questions, not questions that encourage or tempt them to lie. And then calmly state the consequence. Calmly state the consequence. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's a consequence that you're imposing. It may be something that, um, you know, something that you know that is coming that they need to expect if it's with school or something else um, or if it's just a you know a natural consequence that you as a parent are aware of and then discipline with compassion and we're going to talk about that a little bit especially the word discipline now as parents were to do a number of things according to a variety of Bible verses and I won't list all the verses here. This is already very long and it's going to get way way unmanageable if I tried to do that. But here are several things just really quickly that I found that as parents we're to do and not do regarding our children in no particular order. So here's some things we are to do. We're to have compassion toward our children. Tell about God's faithfulness, praises, strength and works. Love them, train them, teach and instruct them of the Lord, provide discipline, and Proverbs twenty-two fifteen, chapter 13, 24, these verses speak of the rod of discipline, which I've come to believe is a comparison, not a definition. And so 
we're not to provoke. We're not to exasperate them. And the verse Colossians 3.21 that says not to provoke in one version is translated not to exasperate in another. Not to despise our children, not to cause them to sin, not hinder them from coming to Jesus, and not hold back discipline. So how are we to discipline and not hold back discipline, but yet we're not to do all these other things? like provoke them and exasperate them. And and what does this rod of discipline mean? So this particular verse that says not hold back discipline stated that if you, quote, strike him with the rod, he will not die, unquote, in speaking about discipline. Folks differ on the meaning of this phrase, and I've gone back and forth with it myself. And at this point, I believe that like rod of discipline in the above verses, it's a comparison, like a metaphor. For example, a targeted blow to stop a sheep from going off a cliff to its death would save its life. So this is like a metaphor when it speaks of the rod, like a shepherd rod, like a shepherd would use with his sheep to save its life. A view of how disciplining our child could actually save the child's life, even though the child may be very intently complaining about whatever the discipline is. And it may even feel painful at the time, but not necessarily harmful. And not not just necessarily, but just absolutely not harmful. So I think this is encouraging the parents to... Sometimes let our child feel the weight of the discipline or the consequences. It uses exaggeration to make a point. And that the child might be complaining to the point of that, oh my goodness, you think they were dying, and they're really not. And so I think this verse has been taken out of context over the years and really done some damage. Rather, I think it's encouraging us to discipline in the way that would be effective and not hold back not back down from that just because our child is complaining and acting like they're going to die or something, eye rolls and all. So we're to provide for our children. And 1 Timothy also says in chapter 3, verse 4, we're to keep them under control with all dignity. That's a quote. Keep them under control with all dignity. And I think this means we don't just control them willy-nilly, you know, by all means necessary, you know, any means that we come up with, no matter how harsh or how unkind or uncaring. This is another verse that may tend to be misinterpreted, and I'm leaning toward with all dignity, meaning that we don't punish or discipline them in such a way that it would strip them of their dignity, that they would feel like embarrassed or shamed, right? And so this brings us to my big overall point that discipline is greater than just mere punishment. It's a word that's often equated with the word punishment, but it doesn't always have to be punishment. The meaning of the word discipline is so much greater than that. So this is something you have to decide for yourself and I can't decide for you, but don't let other people decide for you either. You decide, are you going to use punishment as a small part of your discipline Or is it just all one and the same to you? Or do you prefer to avoid punishment in your discipline methods altogether? So here are three goals or three points that I want to leave you with. When you are considering 
and you're thinking about holding holding your child accountable, holding them accountable, first decide your goal and ask yourself, is it discipline or is it punishment? So when we're thinking about accountability in our homes, our families, with our most challenging children, and all of our children really, we want to first think about what our goal is with holding our child, our older child or our teen accountable. Next, consider your options and expected results. And I'm saying those two as separate things even though I know one of the definitions for discipline is punishment. I want us to think of discipline and punishment in two different buckets. So will the action that you're considering work well to beat your goals or your primary goal or your and, and also your other goals? Will it undermine other competing or more important goals or long-term goals? So Number one is your goals, number two is your options and expected results, and then number three is your actions. When our actions are reactive, we're more vulnerable to falling into an accountability trap. So I hope that you can also begin to implement what will help you to be calm and responsive versus reactive, so that even when you really feel reactive, you'll be able to pull back and get your own self settled so that you can approach it in a more responsive way that doesn't prompt them to counterreact to your reaction and cause things to go off the rails. That's all I have for you today. I hope it's given you something to consider. Thank you for listening to this episode of Second Mom's Circle. You can read the companion blog post and more at the website at dawnbaggett.com. Also, please leave a review and follow the podcast if you found this valuable. I'm Dawn Baggett, and as always, keep learning, keep growing, and keep loving.